Welcome to the Queen Trail Podcast. Meditation doesn't have to be sitting still and having an empty mind. The journey is such a beautiful thing because we are all on a journey. You want to make sure you have some kind of distribution plan, or at least have an idea of it, because you can make this really amazing film and it only gets seen by your family and friends. Old Hollywood is still intact. Every horse runs hard, but when they win, and they know it. They've got this little sass about them. It was pretty rough. I had to go into the water and with my med pack, swim to the beach, treat these guys, put them on my back, swim out to the helo. And I'm like, oh my God, I've never seen those before. And I said, what are those? And before I could even finish the sentence, she said, oh my God, you didn't touch them, did you? Even if monarchs go away and we never see one again, because there never will be monarchs again if they die out, it is just a little indicator of larger threats my dad said, so what were you guys doing in the desert? And I said, we were taking nude photos. Hey everyone, welcome back. I hope you had a great week since the last time that we got together. We continue this week with my talk with my cousin, Gina, who is a former astronomy educator turned extraordinary gardener. In this episode, we talk about the healing qualities of gardening and how her garden saved her from a painful and debilitating autoimmune disorder, as well as helping her process a medical leave from work. And we also talk about the many lessons of gardening from learning acceptance to learning who you are. And then there's a whole discussion about our love for donuts, (laughs) which brings me to an update on week two of my keto diet. So last week I announced that I had done one week of keto. I started it right after Thanksgiving because I have literally gained so much weight from one year of being pretty sedentary. From late November, early December, I had COVID. Then in January, I had something that wasn't COVID, but sure felt like it was going to kill me. And then I had this knee injury and it's like every year sucks for a particular reason, but I think we have to dig deep sometimes and maybe not so deep, really. Take a look at why the year was so glorious for all the many reasons that it was. And, you know, so this has been a combination health-wise. It sucked, but I am on the mend. I'm feeling a whole lot better So I decided I was going to test drive a diet over four weeks, this keto diet. And that brings me to another point, which is that if you're on a diet and you find yourself past the first couple of days where there is an expectation that you're going to have cravings, you might not feel so great, but you get past that. And so, you know, if you find yourself all of a sudden having this all out binge day, it is less likely a failure on your part than it is a diet. So, you know, we're always trying these diets as though they're tailored for us. And sometimes they're not. So rather than seeing it as a failure, just kind of like go, well, that diet sucked and move on. You know, don't give up on yourself because something that somebody else wrote isn't working for you. There's so many different dietary lifestyles to choose from that, you know, if one doesn't work, there's a reason for it. And rather than beating yourself up over it, cut yourself a break. I think we tend to beat ourselves up when we feel like we failed the diet. But in fact, that diet was never designed to work for us. It's really sad to me to see how many people are walking around, how many women especially are walking around feeling like failures because a diet didn't work for them. And, you know, seeing a nutritional expert is always a good idea if you're not sure because they're going to take a look at what your current habits are and be really honest with them because if they're going to tailor a plan for you you put down that you know you like to have that candy bar after lunch that you like oatmeal for breakfast well on this diet that i'm on i can't have oatmeal and i love oatmeal i love just throwing all kinds of amazing healthy things. Oats are super healthy for you. 
that could be like a cheat day thing for me because I love getting a big bowl of oats and adding peanut butter to it and then sliced up fresh chunks of apple nuts and some cinnamon and I just make this great big giant stick to your guts bowl of really healthy oats. Um, They're going to write you a meal plan based on the things that you like to eat. They might be able to either build in a bite of a candy bar after lunch or a substitute for that or here's your cheat day, have at it on that day as a meal. But it's always great to talk to somebody who actually knows about nutrition and actually knows about your habits so you can have something that's tailored for you rather than having this one-size-fits-all meal plan that just doesn't work for you. And then you're thinking that there's something wrong with you when in fact there is not. And, you know, a diet really, it's like such a scary word, but a diet is really just anything you eat. It could be a healthy diet or it could be an unhealthy diet. And so um, maybe we shouldn't say I'm going to start a diet because it's also just so broad that who knows what it is, right? And you could just do one thing at a time, too. It could be like, I'm going to drink more water for the next four weeks, see how that goes. I'm going to cut out the after lunch candy bar. See how that goes. See how you feel. So anyway, um, I am at the end of two weeks of mostly sticking to this keto diet. And I will explain the mostly in a minute. At the end of last week, week one, I lost 4.8 pounds, which really floored me. I mean, that super surprised me in a very great way because I want that number to come down again for health reasons. Weight numbers do hold some clue to what your health and the quality of your life is. And so I would like it to be lower because I feel like I will definitely have a better quality of life and I will feel healthier. And as a side benefit, I'm gonna get to wear the clothes that doesn't fit me right now and maybe some cuter stuff too that I can buy. But I need to emphasize here that when I am not giving anybody medical advice, I am not a doctor, always see that medical professional. Based on my knowledge and experience as a fitness nutrition coach, I knew it was one not sustainable and it was going to slow down. So now I am at the end of week two and I did lose 3.4 pounds, making the total loss of weight over two weeks 8.8 pounds. That's pretty amazing and kind of unbelievable to me. There was a little bit of a slowdown in that second week, which I'm expecting to increase during the third week. So maybe I'll see a pound lost. Maybe I won't see any weight loss, which will be a total bummer. But, you know, we'll see. I'm pretty committed to this dietary change. It seems pretty effortless to me and um, I'm feeling good on it. So again, you know, test driving it, to me, it feels good. And so here's where I'm explaining that mostly sticking to the diet. There was an unintentional cheat dinner. I'd forgotten about an invitation-only event this past Tuesday night. It was an upscale gallery exhibition and dinner by a two Michelin star and James Beard awarded chef. (laughs) How often do you get to experience the artistic inspired food creations of a multi-awarded chef? Like, I mean, I, I know that this is Los Angeles. I know that there are some really phenomenal restaurants with multi awarded chefs, but I was at a place with one on Tuesday night. And when the first round of these glorious looking appetizers, I mean, they were little pieces of art in themselves. It was it was just perfect for a gallery exhibit. Um, When that first round came out, I just ignored it. And I was like, nope, sticking to my guns. But when the second one came out, I just threw caution to the wind. It was so beautiful. And smelled amazing, looked amazing. And so I went and I had a glass of wine. I enjoyed one of each appetizer. They were about two bites each. 
as they came out. And I think the dinner was unintentionally keto-friendly-ish. There was smoked fish, there was venison, and there was a really spectacular salad. But I think that the salad dressing may have had some sugar in it or honey or some sort of sweetener. So that's why I say friendly-ish. But ooh, so, so good. And then after dinner, we listened to stories of Indian and Native American history and heritage. And we toured this interactive exhibit with art pieces that were created by artists who are Indian and Native American. And then it was time for more appetizers and dessert. So like I said, everything was about two bites except for the main meal. It was a lot of non-keto friendly food. And I thought for sure I had gained weight. So I didn't weigh myself the next morning and I've kind of just been hit and miss about getting on the scale. I don't want to be obsessive about it. I don't want it to turn into something that I have to do every single morning. So I waited a day and I had lost over a pound, like almost a pound and a half. And all of a sudden I'm like, hello, future cheat days. I got my eye on you. And so I think I'm planning my next cheat day for Christmas Eve. And really what it is, is a cheat meal. Cheat days are effective in accelerating weight loss or pushing you past an unexpected plateau. And honestly, they're a great way to live life. Like even if everything that you're eating on your diet is fun, You know, after a lifetime of eating good things, you know, like especially if you come from a family that loves to cook, like your grandmother or your mom, aunts, uncles, dads, whatever. I don't want to leave the guys out because there's a lot of really great guy cooks. But if you've grown up with that sort of thing, it's hard to leave it behind. And I don't think that you need to. I think that cheat meals are a great way of keeping in touch with that. So one of the things that I would say is that I'm definitely going to have a cheat meal here and there, but I'm going to be judicious with it. And before I indulge in one, I, you know, I'm going to make sure that I consider if whatever it is that I'm craving can be made on this diet. So for example, While I was editing this episode, I got to the part where Gina and I talk about our love affair with donuts. And I got a serious craving for one. And also I should mention that I think I may have had a mild case of late hitting keto flu. I was super tired and that was even after I had taken a nap. I was lethargic, I had a headache. My throat felt scratchy. (laughs) I looked up a recipe for keto donuts and I found one and voila, I was cured. And it was it was just amazing. It was just the right amount of sugar free sweetness to turn on some of those feel good endorphins and perk me up. And maybe it was the coffee as well, because that's when I finally had my cup of coffee. Who knows? Who knows what it was? I know I was better after I had that donut and coffee. And now I have five more in the freezer for the next time I'm craving something sweet. It's nice to know that I can have desserts on this diet. And that will help me kind of push off the FOMO that's going to lead to a crazy cheat day. You know, there's there's an experimental component to changing your diet. And it's like, okay, well, what's causing me stress? What can I do to mitigate it? What are my cravings? What can I do to reduce them? How can I replace something? So it just takes a little bit of thought and practice. Um, Anyway, enough about the diet. I want to get to this really great talk about how gardens put us back in touch with our authentic selves and so much more that's in here. So please grab a cuppa and join my cousin Gina Brissenden and me in this In the Company of Friends talk. Enjoy. So after you put 
your first three plants in, what was the next step? Were you, did you start designing seating areas? How did you get all of that shade into yeah. a sun-beaten patch, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right, right, right. Well, that, it's every little thing that goes up creates a shadow at some time during the day. You know, as long as sun hits it, and I live in a yard that is in the sun all day. Right. <laughs> uh, well, I shouldn't say all day. You know, that's not exactly true because there's a building here on the east side, you know, my apartment. Mm-hmm. And that building provides an amount of shade that changes throughout the day. So, like, the west side of my yard doesn't get direct sunlight on it. I mean, like, you know, sun shining on the ground, probably until about nine o'clock in the morning. And then the wall of the house doesn't receive sunlight until after noon o'clock. So the sun is going around my apartment building that whole time. And so things that are all the way on my wall, though being on a west-facing wall is a very hard place for a plant in Arizona. (laughs) Right. Like the sun is beating on that wall from noon on, but it didn't get a single ounce of sunlight until noon. That's pretty intense sunlight at that point. Yes, it really, really is. And so it has to be planted accordingly. Like something that lives over there has to be able to live in full sun, but it probably would really appreciate if there was a plant down low to cover its roots and whatever part of it might be bare without leaves on it, you know? So like a little coat, a sweater for it. Right. (laughs) Right, right. So once you start you just plant a thing, it is going to cast a little bit of shadow. And so because my yard and apartment are very directly east, west, north, south. So anything that is to the south of where you are standing will cast a shadow to the north during the day. Even if the sun is high, it'll cast a little shadow. If the sun is low, it will cast a longer shadow. But that structure will provide shade. If it's short, it's going to provide short shade. <laughs> if it's tall, it's, or it's going to provide Long, longer shade, right? Yeah, longer shade. And so all of my furniture cast shadows. So the first thing I started doing was having planters and putting them behind my furniture to give it a little bit of shade by the chair being there. And I used to think that I needed to grow cactus, which I really suck at. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm only slightly better now because you have to absolutely, like, not touch them for long periods of time. Right. So I'm just not very good at it. I'm getting better. But I do better with plants I can water. And if, like, if the plant doesn't want water, it's so much easier to kill a plant with water, overwatering than underwatering, you know. So I've killed a lot of cactuses and succulents from overattention. That makes sense because I have a lot of plants in my yard that are in pots. And Mm -hmm. I know where to set my hose. I know to stand for 30 seconds watering this plant. And I'm delivering the same amount of water to the next plant, but only for 10 seconds. This other plant needs to be soaked down to the roots. So it's going to get a full minute. And when I leave for a week or whatever, and I have somebody watching the house, (laughs) I'll leave detailed instructions. Start on this plant, do this with this one, do this. Inevitably, I'll come back and they'll say, oh, I watered all of your plants really well. And they really did because they gave them all like two minutes of water. And I've got dead plants now because they're drowned. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, the Zen, the Zen of gardening. Yeah. Your friends mean well. And Absolutely. It's our oh, I have been so internally angry sometimes about what I come back to. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, Kathy. Right, right. <laughs> my auntie sister, my sister auntie. Yeah. So I was talking with her about this one time and she's like, you have unreasonable expectations of what someone else can do at your home with your plan. It's and so I true. was like, yep. <laughs> 
just like with the javelina who are eating before I put the fence up, you know, who were eating my garden all the time, like, what am I going to do? Keep getting pissed off at the javelina? Like I'm in their yard. Literally, I am in their yard. (laughs) You're the intruder. I am the intruder. And you don't see the javelina getting pissed off at you. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, this is great. Yeah. So like you just have to either live with it and know that's going to happen mm-hmm. or decide what you can, if you can do something to change it. But like I had so much eaten and I don't have a very good success rate. I'm like at 25%. Your yard looks like that with 75% atrophy? Yeah. 75% loss of things like over time. This is the 25% accumulation. I'm terrible at transplanting. I'm terrible at growing things from seeds. I mean, at least that's what it seems like, you know, but then I was thinking the other day, what does it mean to have a good batting average? What is that number? What percentage is that? You know, when they say it's like at a 250 batting average or a 300 batting average, isn't that 30%? -hmm. I think it is. I'm not positive. But, you know, so I've learned to appreciate that you're going to lose things. Things are going to die. I'm going to overbuy if I'm going to buy something. I'm going to get way too much. I'm going to let the javelina eat them until I get a fence up. You know, like. (laughs) Right. (laughs) All these things. I'll share begrudgingly, but I'll share. Right. And then I got dissatisfied enough. And you want to know why? Hmm. It was two years ago, just after the holidays. I come back from my holiday travels and my white rose bush is so beautiful just out here all on its own. I've been gone for a month. It's like a ball of rose. It's like two and a half feet in diameter, beautiful white roses all over it. It's a floribunda. So I came home. I'm admiring it. Wake up the next morning. It is a stalk with a leaf <laughs> sticking out of it. One leaf. And I about effing lost my mind. That's so heartbreaking. It was. But you know what I'm looking at right now? That same rose bush. It's about three feet in diameter. It's covered with white roses. So it came back. I remember admiring it when I was there a couple of weeks ago. That day, I got on Amazon and started ordering my fence pieces and built my fence. Right then, over that week, I finished it, started oh and God. finished this fence, <laughs> which I put in all by myself. Wow. I was really proud of myself. So you know how it kind of looks like a picket fence without the pickets? It's got a lot of slats that are two inches apart from each other, maybe three inches on center, all the way around the yard. And it's got a railing across the top, railing across the bottom. So think of taking every single one of those straight lines apart. And they're like 30 inches tall. That's what all of this fence was. I had to stick all of them together to make the fence pieces. And then dig them into the ground that is the desert. And put like rebar, hammered rebar down into the ground to give it some extra strength. All by myself. Yeah. I'm very proud That's of That's <laughs> something to be proud of. I know. It was kind of like when we built our vegetable boxes. It was just, yeah. we did this, you know. So that's that's one of mm-hmm. the great things about gardening. And like you said, there's a lot of lessons that are built in to gardening. It is the ground and therefore it is grounding in terms of... No kidding. Right? Mm-hmm. We don't have javelinas over here, Los Angeles, you know, but we've got the raccoons and the possums and they go out there. We had such beautiful vegetable boxes. They were full of all of these wonderful vegetables. It was terrible because the day before we were leaving on a five-day trip, the plants just torn out of the boxes, thrown all over the place. There were these deep holes that were dug all over because all of these little critters, they didn't care about the plants. So they were just throwing, chucking those over their Uh. shoulder, you know? Right. What? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Get Get this thing out of my way. I want that worm down there. I just knew this is going to be decimated and horrible and everything's going to die because there's nothing I can do about it between now and when we come back from our trip. 
And it was. And we tried so many different things. And I finally came upon recycled plastic that's like tiny chicken wire. And you lay that flat on the ground and then cut little holes and you put your plant in there and they can't dig through it. Oh, that's cool. But like you said, you know, it was, okay, get realistic here. These critters are going to come into your yard and, you know, I love them like your little kangaroo mouse. They're super cute. Right. But they are wreaking (laughs) havoc on the things that I like. And so at some point you have to just kind of go, let's build a little bit of ingenuity here, figure out how I can have my garden and allow these critters to be in here. And so it's, it's worked so far. And then other things like I've got this eggplant that produces all year long and it's like in its third year. I just can't believe how many eggplants it's putting out. But that possums and the raccoons don't like it, apparently, because they're not digging around it. And Uh it really likes its location. So plant the things that like to be where you put them. Yes. If you plant something somewhere and it dies, it probably doesn't like living. Mm -hmm. I have this place, they're side by side in the outer part of my yard, that I have planted so many things there. And they keep dying. You know what I realized? Things don't want to grow there. I should probably stop trying. (laughs) I feel much better about it now. That's a place I walk in my garden instead of where I need to plant. But this garden has been also a very healing space for me. In addition to just gardening. Before COVID happened... Two big things happened in my life almost immediately prior to that. One was I stopped working and took a medical leave. And then about instantaneously after that, I had a very, very painful autoimmune syndrome happen to me. And I was in a lot of physical pain for about a month and a half or two months. That kind of pain that you can't stop crying from. Mm. And there was no relief out there for me. That's terrible. It was very terrible. Thank you. Yeah, it was. It was horrible. It was really horrible because I didn't know what was happening. It was very frightening. My, I thought I was losing my arm. I thought my arm was dying. That's what I call it. When my arm was dying. <laughs> That's what I call it. I mean, I didn't lose an arm. And that's what it felt like. Like, this must be what a limb dying feels like. God, sounds just awful. It was. It was. And my arm became paralyzed or partially paralyzed. I couldn't lift it above my waist. It didn't even go up that far. But anyway, um, I had this backyard And I could bend over at my waist and let my arms dangle and I could do a little gardening, you know? And so that turned out to be incredibly important physical therapy because while people were figuring out what was wrong with me, I didn't lock up any joints and create a bigger problem than was already happening. Wow. And once it was known what was happening, it was also part of what helped me get through that pain. It's part of what helped me get through my physical therapy and do things that weren't thinking about doing physical therapy that was still physically therapeutic for my body. And that leave I took from work was due to a lot of people problems, Mm-hmm. And I got to work through all of that in my mind. I said every single thing I needed to say to everybody perfectly how I wanted to say it. I wrote the letter, rewrote the letter, edited it, cut the line, rewrote the line, all of it in my head until I said it exactly perfectly, whatever it was I needed to say to someone. I didn't actually have to say it to their face. I just had to say it. And so I did that all by myself in my backyard. 
it was all in my head. And maybe it took me three months to write one particular letter, you know, but I set it all in my head exactly how I wanted to say it. And so in that way, I processed through, you know, and I was going to therapy, but I was also engaged in this other activity. Like my brain was working hard on all of these other things. And I didn't have to actively engage in that opportunity. Like now I'm going to think about what I want to say to this person, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm, You know, mm -hmm. it was just sort of more naturally occurring than that sort of like it's just happening in your brain while you're gardening almost without thought, you know, but like physically doing one thing and mentally doing Mm -hmm. another and actively engaged in both of those activities simultaneously. I think there's a meditative quality to gardening and planning and it starts to stimulate thinking parts of your brain and it's all part of the creative process somehow. It's all tied together with the creative process Mm -hmm. because you can go deep into your mind and dig at the same time because your hand knows what to do, right? Yes, yes, yes. And so I yes. think that's what happens. And and you can do the opposite as well. You can be so invested in, or I can become so invested in what I am physically doing that there is nothing else that is existing for me at that moment. And that reminds me of something that Georgia O'Keefe said I'm probably going to do a hatchet job paraphrasing, but something like if you truly look at a flower for that moment, it becomes your universe. And I think that is true of just about anything that you become absorbed in. You know, so while I am out in my garden, I, that is what I can become absorbed in so much so that while I'm examining that flower or pruning that tree, there is nothing else that is existing for me in that moment. I am 100% in the world of snipping leaves you know, right, or whatever it is, whatever it is, that's all there is. I'm not processing anything else. But that time of COVID and my arm dying or thinking I was going to (laughs) die at the beginning of 2020. And I had my very good friends, Jacob and Casey and Jacob's partner, Josue entered the mix and now husband at that time, you know, but Mm -hmm. I was able to sit out in my yard and enjoy the piece of it and spend time with my friends who I didn't have to act happy in front of while I wasn't because I was in so much pain. And then when that pain, the physical pain went away to just go through this process that I retired from work. And this whole garden has helped me process all of that and move beyond. Mm -hmm. And it is what I do now. You know, I wake up, I make my cup of coffee, I come outside. That's how I start my day. I don't even think I come out here, I listen to a little news, I fill up my bird baths, I look around and, you know, the day's gone. Yeah. The sun's setting. And it's been a beautiful day filled with birds that your yard attracts and all the beauty around you. And it feeds the science part of my brain also. I feel like I am an equally left-right-brained person, Mm -hmm. very balanced in that way. How do you see that? How do I see it playing out in my uh-huh. life? Well, I, when I decided to go to college, I ended up getting my undergraduate degree in astrophysics. So that involves a lot of math and science. And I can do it and I can be good at it and successful at it. So, and I do have that analytical part in my brain. Mm-hmm. I'm very, my, anyone who knows me would laugh to hear me say I am extremely observational. I don't think that's surprising because I've always found you to be very observational. And just what we were talking about earlier with how you take photographs of environments to see where the spaces are, having that mental rainbow, I think is observational. Knowing how to prune a tree 
or any of those creative endeavors that you're constantly delving into because you delve into a lot beyond just gardening and the astrophysical aspects. You've got your leather tooling, the bread making, and some really beautiful loaves that you make, the the gorgeous designs that you're making on top. That all takes that analytical observation to produce such elegant designs. Well, thank you. (laughs) I feel the older I get, the more I am the person I started out being. Oh, that's beautiful. I feel like, imagine a line that is your life. Now, stack a hula hoop on top of the line. You know how that hula hoop only touches in one spot? Mm -hmm. Now imagine walking around the hula hoop and you come back to the line and then you just keep walking. Can you imagine that shape in your head? Yes. Can you imagine walking that journey? That's how I feel my life has been. I feel like, and I think it probably happens to a lot of people. I don't think it's just me. But I was very uniquely myself at some point. And then I feel like I took this whole journey where I was a whole lot of other people that got detached from that original person who I was. Then I was this working person and this mom and the grown up and, you know, all these other things you have in the world that you're concerned about. And now I feel like I'm carrying along. I've stepped off that circle and come back to who I was when I was my very truly authentic self, but older, with all those experiences that are in that circle. Mm -hmm. By design, especially our society, you know, it's such a busy, busy life that we live, you know, and it's very rigid and segmented. And there's a lot of expectations that are placed on us to remain within the boundaries of these different hats that you wear. Mm -hmm. And so you do lose some of yourself trying to fit into those boundaries, trying to keep a job or trying to get an education. You have to set some of yourself aside. And sometimes you get so far away from it that you look back and you, you think, you know, where did that inner me go to? And it's just really, really wonderful that You have found a way through gardening and creating this beautiful space to walk back around and unite with yourself where you had stepped off and continue. Yeah. Thank you. It's a really nice place to be. It's a really nice place to be because what I'm trying to do is be my true authentic self and keep around me the people who are comfortable with me being my true authentic self. And I'm comfortable being my true authentic self around them. Mm -hmm. And they are comfortable being their true authentic self around me. All this people game, my whole work, like half of my work was managing people, managing emotion, managing, managing, managing. And that is hard work to manage other people's emotions. It is because you can't do it, right? Well, right. Right. (laughs) That's why it's so effing hard. Right, right. I mean, it's like you think about somebody telling you, you go to the doctor and the doctor says, you know, your cholesterol levels are really high. You're going to have to cut this stuff out of your diet. And you leave and you're like, oh, that donut looks good over there. You know? (laughs) I love donuts. (laughs) What kind do you like? I'm just going to go off off on a little tangent here. I'm oh really interested. God. Do you I like? I love a fair with donuts. I didn't like raised donuts for a really long time. I only liked cake donuts. They're still my preference, mm-hmm. but I have a, 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 a growing fond spot for just the plain glazed raised donut. But I love all kinds of donuts. When I was in high school, I used to stop at the donut hole in Miner's Oaks Mm -hmm. 
and spend 25 cents. Maybe it was only a dime. I don't even remember. I would get an unglazed sour cream cake. Dinner. Oh my God. And it was heaven. That sounds It was, I can, I can still feel in my mouth all the different textures of the outside of the donut shape compared to the dough uh, oh, everything about it. Anyway, the most simple donut, not even anything on it, just plain, all by itself. And then when I lived in Wisconsin, in Madison, there's this Italian neighborhood called the Greenbush Bakery and the Donut Man. And they had the best donuts. They're apple fritters, blueberry orange fritters, cranberry orange fritters like the size of a hubcap. Oh my gosh. So delicious. The very last thing I did before driving out of the city, I went to the Greenbush Bakery and told the donut man, thank you for all of the years of donuts I had had there. And I bought a huge box of donuts that lasted all the way to Arizona for two days. That's all I ate was donuts from there. And the donut man invited me back into the kitchen to make myself a donut. Oh, nice. Yes. Yes. It was so cool. So, and in Tucson, I keep being glad that I forget where the donut shops are. I just can't have them next to me because I would just be eating donuts all the time. (laughs) I love donuts. When I first got diagnosed with diabetes and thought I could never live with it because I'd never get any sweets or whatever, Mm -hmm. I figured out how to have donut days. So all I ate was donuts, but maybe I only had two donuts for the, or three donuts for the whole entire day. And I just would nibble on them. Oh my gosh. That's funny. That is funny. So my blood sugar stayed fine. Wow. And I had a whole day of eating nothing but donuts. Nothing but donuts. Yeah, I can have probably two donuts and then my body kind of revolts and goes, that's it, you're done because of all the grease and all of the sugar. But I do love a good glazed old fashioned. Oh God, I love old fashioned. Or chocolate glazed old fashioned. I think the maple glazed Mm. ones are too sweet. And then Mm. after that, I want a chocolate cake donut with chocolate frosting and peanuts on top yeah I think those are my two favorite yeah cake donuts hands down for me I am not a huge fan of the yeast donuts though I did make my own donuts recently I guess it was a year ago or so over at Sydney's oh my gosh really I did yes I made the Krispy Kreme glazed raised donuts like a copycat kind of oh oh my god were they amazing They were so delicious. They were so delicious, but they were homemade, you know, so. I I like a good twist. Mm -hmm, mm. Those are good. I could go on and on about donuts. I really do love donuts. It's really one of my, see, that's why I'm always happy. Oh, I'm so happy I don't live next to that donut. (laughs) (laughs) Crystal, when we just left Ojai Monday morning. Mm -hmm. At, oh, dark 30. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> she would not stop at the donut shop. Oh, no. <laughs> I could Sacrilege. That that was my child. Well, I could believe my child wasn't letting me do it, but she should have let, she should have She should have stopped. I should have got my donut. Crystal really likes custard filled maple bars. Oh, my God. And they're hard to come yep. by. I don't but think I've ever at seen the one. donut hole. Yeah, yeah. At the donut hole, I asked them one time if they had one, and they're like, oh, I'll make one for you. So they took a maple bar out of the front case, took it to the back in the kitchen, filled it with custard, and gave it to me. Oh, my God. And so so now, every time I go there, they make that for me. Right. (laughs) Yeah, so that's just That's the kind of place it is. That is really nice. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, really good. Well, you're going to be back soon right so when I come out for the visit we will take a drive down to the donut shop and make ourselves happy there is this yeah shout out to the donut hole in Miner's Oaks best donuts anywhere (laughs) you're delicious (laughs) yeah 
you know, there's this really great place in downtown Los Angeles called the Nickel Diner. They have some amazing donuts. They're usually sold out by the middle of the day. Oh, they have one that is a strawberry crumb donut that I think is a sour cream, kind of like the one you were talking about earlier. And then they roll it in in this strawberry (laughs) crumb that is just phenomenal. Oh my God. It's like those strawberry shortcake ice cream. Exactly. Exactly. It's like that. It's so good. We're going to have to go when you're out here because it's so phenomenal. (laughs) Yes. I grew enough strawberries in my garden this year to make one jar of jam. Ooh. It was so good. It was so good. I'm hoping that I get a much more bountiful crop next year, but this was my first crop. And I have two peach trees that my friend Casey, who's taught me everything I know about gardening, thinks they're going to fruit in the spring, which will be the first time that they fruited. And I am so excited to make jam from that. And I picked a bunch of Sydney's Meyer lemons, Mm -hmm. just like you did. I'm going to make some lemon ginger preserves. Oh, that'll be delicious. Yeah. And I got a bunch of little hot sauce bottles Mm -hmm. and I've been saving all of my peppers and drying them for the last two years. Mm. I'm going to make hot pepper sauce. sauce. Hot sauce. Gina's hot sauce, hot and sassy sauce, hot and sassy. Gina's hot and sassy. Gina's sassy sauce. I think I'm just going to call it Gina's sassy sauce. I like that because you are sassy. Sassy sauce, yes. (laughs) So I was going to ask you, well, I guess this whole episode has been pretty much about this, but what does a garden in a nutshell mean to you? It is my sanctuary and my playground. It is my art space and my science space. How is it science-y? Well, it starts with observation and that leads to something. Maybe it's a hypothesis, maybe it's an action. And you learn over time when you see certain things or don't see certain things, you know, that's your evidence that that requires some sort of other action. So all of that, learning about the needs of your particular plants is all observational science. And even though I'm not formally collecting data, I'm still collecting data in my brain. My brain is still processing it and putting data points together and sense making. And so I guess that's where the science part comes in. And, or as you were saying, analytical also, you know, like I know how my irrigation system works. I know where it's more wet and less wet and what kinds of things need what kind of attention and when. I think that there is also an experimental element to it in your castor bean plant, for example. Out here, there's castor bean plants growing like crazy on the hillsides, and people are trying to keep them out of their yards. And I come in, and this is kind of part of your color scheme, color wheel coming into play, where you felt like there were a lot of shades of green, but something with red in it that was tall would make it pop and your set dressing skills, which is the way that you trim those castor beans because they could get big and messy. (laughs) And it's just, it's a really, really unexpected element to your garden. You have two of them, right? Yeah, I do. One is planted in the ground and one is planted in a pot. I used to have a different one, but I cut it down and, uh, It's actually funny. I kind of have a love-hate relationship with those plants because I do not like the color they are. Oh, really? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That's what stood out to me. I just thought, wow. And, you know, when I... It does stand out in my mind in not a good way. When I see them out in the wild and especially when they're Uh young, I think they're really beautiful. I completely appreciate that. They're beautiful plants. Their color is beautiful. It is not in my color palette. Mm -hmm. They're brick red. Yeah. That is not in my color palette. (laughs) Fall colors 
are not in my color palette. Yeah, you have a brighter, brighter summer color palette, I think, um, somewhere between spring and summer. Yes, I think they're actually summers, um, which is also the palette that looks good on me. Personally. Right. It's actually, you know, this is actually how I knew my personal life was effed up. Hmm. This, this is so funny. I noticed a lot with interior designers. One piece of advice that I kept hearing them say to people is look at your closet to help guide what you like. Look at your clothes. Look at the color scheme of your clothes. And I realized I didn't need to follow that rule because I knew what colors I liked using. That wasn't my problem. But it made me realize I was out of sorts with my life. My wardrobe did not match my home and did not match my garden. It did not match the rest of my life. Wow. Yeah. The little clues, right, that, that you miss. Yes, yes. And I was like, wow, now I fit right in with my garden and my home. Yeah, you do. <laughs> right, right? <laughs> yeah, you have a very bright wardrobe and it's elegant and fun. I'm sure you get compliments all the time because it's unique and it, it's definitely bright and vibrant. And it's all the same set of tools that I use for creating my wardrobe, decorating my house, designing a backyard. I can easily decide if something is going into my wardrobe or not. I can easily decide if I want something in my garden or not. I can totally know if I want something in my house or not. I like it when people say that my house puts them at ease. Yeah. And makes them feel comfortable and relaxed. And happy. And happy. I want my whole life to feel like that. And I hope that I help people feel like that when I am around them or when they come over here. Mm -hmm. I think you do. Oh, thank you. I like to say (laughs) to Crystal, (laughs) spreading little happy rays of sunshine everywhere we go. (laughs) I can see why your garden is the way it is, because you've also got this creativity about you, you know, like. I have to create. Curiosity, I think, as well. You've got curiosity, you've got creativity, and somebody might think it sounds funny, but I think intrepidness, because you just go, oh, I want to try that. And all of a sudden, you're tiling and grouting something, and really successfully, (laughs) or you're working on leather stamping and making a really cool coin purse, or now you're embroidering. When I was a kid, I had a lot of access to raw materials, artistic materials and construction materials. And I had grownups who taught me how to do things and let me do them, like teach me how to solder and then let me just solder at nine years old, whatever I felt like soldering. You right, know? right. <laughs> Here comes Gina with her soldering iron. <laughs> Alice's husband, John, he's such a sweet guy. He um, worked at this place called Frizzy's Paints. And I don't know if they still exist, but it was kind of like all the different kinds of paints that people would paint with. So paint for a house, paint for a fence, oil painting for a canvas, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. everything in between. (laughs) Right. And brushes and just all that, everything within that umbrella of paints. And so John would bring me home things that were discontinued or whatever, you know. So sometimes it was a set of pastels and paper. Sometimes it was three cans of day glow pink spray paint, you know, <laughs> like it was just whatever. So sometimes I'd take my bike apart and haul it up in a tree on a rope and, you know, spray paint the frame a new color, <laughs> put my bike back together again, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. I was just doing it. I You've always been like a tinkerer, right? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I really enjoy doing things with my hands. And I have a high confidence in my ability to do things and to probably do them successfully. I know I can learn how to do something and execute it. I don't worry 
about whether or not I will be able to accomplish it. I figure out how to accomplish it. That is such a good perspective to have in life. (laughs) I wish I'd used it more in the rest of my life. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think that you do, you know, and it's just, it's important to have that because it elevates the quality of your life to have a confidence or an acknowledgement that you have the skills to complete a task that seems very difficult. I know when to ask for help, you know, like I can't do everything. But I think the difference between my work life and this, the things I do, the things I do, I do. Mm-hmm. I don't do them for anyone else. I don't do it for their approval, except for maybe, you know, like when I'm cooking and stuff like that. Of course, I want other people to enjoy it. But I am not doing it to have someone like it, to have someone approve it. doesn't matter to me if someone else likes how I did my yard. It doesn't matter to me if someone likes what my clothes are. It doesn't matter to me if they like how my house looks. The only person I'm trying to please is myself. And so when I am doing something, creating something, I am doing it for me. And so there's no judgment coming from anything except for me and my ability to execute it the way I'm envisioning it. And I think that's really nurturing and healing. It is very nurturing and very healing. Absolutely. And so in all of that, it makes me feel good to do that thing. But I also don't want to be too academic about it because my whole life was academia. And so I like the freedom of just kind of let my observations lead my way or have a conversation with someone or, you know, not doing research the same kind of way I would have done for my work. I don't need to put it in a peer-reviewed journal. I just have fun with the stuff, like if it's making something out of leather or what, you know, it's just all of it is just a way of creative expression, having fun. Yeah, 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 just fun. That's so cool. If you had one thing to share with the world, what would it be? Be kind to yourself. Minding your own emotions and being considerate with yourself and kind to yourself in a way of helping you to be more compassionate and understanding of others. Mm -hmm. It's a big one. And learning how to give a good apology and mean it. Yeah. It has nothing to do with my garden or cooking or anything, but... Well, I think it does because you said through gardening, you were able to heal and come to some of these conclusions. So, yes, that's true. It's got some of that. And, you know, one of the interesting things before we sign off is that I was going to bring up earlier is just having contact with soil. Some of those bacteria have been shown to Mm -hmm. trigger the release of serotonin in the brain. I mean, there's actually a bacteria that's called Mycobacterium vaccae. No, it's vaccae. And that's V-A-C-C-A-E. So as you're breathing up this happy bacteria. Um, It's strengthening your immune system. It's a natural antidepressant. You know, just getting out there and getting your hands dirty and building a garden from scratch into this gorgeous oasis that you did really connects you in many aspects to the core of who you are and a very positive expression. It's a very positive way of expressing yourself to the world. That in itself is therapeutic. It is so therapeutic being out here for the reasons that you've said and the time that it gives you. I have people tell me a lot about how gardening is too much work or too much work for them. And to me, that just means you have the wrong garden because it shouldn't be work. I mean, it might take work, but it shouldn't be a drudgery. Mm -hmm. If I felt like this was drudgery, I would never do this out here. Why would I volunteer to be drudged? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Or whatever it is, you know. (laughs) But And so I guess it's challenging yourself at the right level. You know, have a plan and start with alliums. They're beautiful and you can eat them and they grow year long. And that is my starter plant. That would be my other thing. If I could say one thing about gardening, start with alliums. 
I hope that this episode inspired you to plant something in your garden, get your hands dirty and grow edible produce and beautiful flowers to look at, whether it's in your yard, your balcony or your windowsill. Connecting with nature is always a great way to connect with yourself and in many ways heal from life's blows. You only need to start with one plant. I think gardens can be a wild area where we can join hands with leaves and roots to create profound beauty. There are links to everything that we talked about in the show notes. Please take a moment to rate this episode because your ratings really do help move this podcast closer to the top of searches so that my friends and I can reach more people. I'm looking forward to sharing more upcoming In the Company of Friends talks with you. So be sure to follow me on the socials and the dot com all at the Queen Trail Podcast. That's T-H-E-Q-U-A-I-N-T-R-E-L-L-E Podcast. I am Syl Annan, the Queen Trail. And until next time, I wish you passion, grace, adventure, garden magic, elegance, 